Father, uh, so many things uh, to glorify you for. Um, the very fact that my words just came out, my brain uh, connected with my tongue, and uh, Lord, their ears heard sounds that were interpreted by their brain. And so we say glory to your name, glory to your name. There is no one else to thank for speech and for hearing. Thank you for the comfortable seats. Um, Lord, thank you for the 18 years, uh, all of those Sundays. Um, Lord, things that, the weeks that went well, the weeks that didn't, and times of transition, and, and here we are, Lord, because you're, you're determined to love us, uh, to keep a place for us, and to keep us loving you. Lord, you're the reason we exist, and you're the reason the church of 21 centuries exists. Glory to your name. Glory to your name. God, uh, we experienced a lot of blessings last week. Uh, made some progress on the construction of houses. Made some advancements at work. Saw a paycheck deposited in the bank. Um, enjoyed good meals with the family and friends. Uh, enjoyed some vacation. Father, so many things. We glory, glory to your name. Most of all, God, we thank you for Christ, that he's here, he has died, and he has risen, and his spirit is in this building. So anybody that would like to be forgiven of any sin can be cleansed, declared not guilty today. And we just say glory to the name of Christ. So today, uh, help us. Um, to see you in a new way, the beauty of your glory, the beauty of your glory, that that's where the greatest pleasure in life is, loving the beauty of your glory. In Christ's name I pray, amen. I got a meaningful picture yesterday from uh, Lori McCracken down at Edisto Beach. It's where her family is vacationing. Uh, I called her yesterday to ask how she was doing, and when I did ask her what she was doing. She said, well, I'm on the dock here, just spending a little bit of time with God, which is always an unnerving thing is when you interrupt a meeting with God. So I asked her forgiveness and she continued to tell me how she was doing. But the reason I appreciate that picture is because it is a reminder that she is choosing to combat pain with beauty. Um, She's enjoying the beauty of God in the midst of the battle. If you don't know who Lori is, uh, she's our senior violinist, which is my way, derogatory of saying she's the oldest one in the band. Um, <clears throat> she's battling pancreatic cancer. It's already spread to her liver. In fact, on the day that they went down to Edisto, um, she had her third chemo treatment at, at the Gibbs Center. So obviously a uh, cancer diagnosis, pancreatic cancer nonetheless, is overwhelming. And yet how interesting it was that Lori is not just sitting there on the dock enjoying the creation, but she's sitting there on the dock with an open Bible talking to the very artist who had decided what the day would look like. She understands that the way to combat the pain of the world is by finding pleasure in the beauty of God. 
I hadn't really planned to preach on the beauty of God today. I sort of weaved my way through a lot of different options in the summer, and I was heading in a completely different direction Thursday night. I read about five minutes of that direction to Lisa, and she said, really doesn't do it for me. (laughs) And uh, then I began to look at what the band was singing on, and they were ending a song. They're ending today with a great song about the beauty of the Lord. So I just felt like the beauty of God was it, and was really affirmed in that, not just from Lori's picture, but how interesting yesterday she sent me this picture, and then another Hope Point family, also vacationing at Edisto. They don't know each other, and they don't know that where each other's staying down there, but they both sent me pictures of Edisto on the same day, because how sweet it is. After 18 years of being together at church, uh, you all know how much I cherish and energized by the beauty of God. So let me say it again. The way to combat the pain of the world is by finding pleasure in the beauty of God. And nobody understood this more than King David. We read his strategy in Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, When my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I not be, even then will I be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple." This psalm was written by David, a shepherd boy turned statesman, eventually Israel's greatest king. And throughout his life, you could see where there are times where he had enemies coming after him. His predecessor chased him with a spear. And when he was on the throne of Israel, his own son ran him out of town. Somebody was always after David. He knew that in this case, that he was the target of evil. We don't know exactly what was going on. We just know that it was big. And we know that fear was saying to him, I want to have you. Fear was trying to destroy him. Trust was trying to lead him. Have you ever been in that pool? Fear was trying to destroy him. Trust was trying to lead him. And he looked in the eyes of fear and said, you will not have me. David was encouraged by three aspects of God as revealed in, <clears throat> as revealed in, this, um, in this psalm. From God, David gained three things, certainty, security, and strength. He voices the, the, the certainty part in verse 1 when he says, The Lord is my light, whom shall I <clears throat> fear? Every time the word light is mentioned in Scripture... It is referring to um, the driving away of uncertainty and the driving away of gloom with some degree of, of certainty. You know what it's like to long for light. Storm knocks your electricity out and you can't wait for the lights to come back on. Or you're driving down an old country road and you were not diligent to fill your car up with gas and it's very near empty and it's dark as everything. And when you see the light 
of a, of a gas station. Your whole body is relieved. So light in the scripture represents the driving away of uncertainty. Um, we see this in the promise of the coming of Christ in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 9, 2 on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. This was a prophecy made about the coming of Christ to the people in Galilee 700 years before Jesus came. And yet in Isaiah's mind, it was so certain that seven centuries before it happened, he said it's already happened. Because when the light of the world makes a promise to you, you can guarantee that the light of the world will keep the promise. Might be uncertain today, but it will not always be uncertain. The second thing that David uh, gained from God was security. He says, the Lord is not just my light, but he's also my salvation. Therefore, I'm not going to fear. Throughout scripture, most of the time when the word salvation is used, it is um, referring to God saving instead of destroying. So when you say the Lord is my salvation, you are rejoicing that God has saved you. And has not destroyed you. This is made clear in Romans chapter 5 verse 9. Since we have been justified or declared not guilty. Declared not guilty of sin. Well, by the blood of Christ. How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? In other words, we are looking and we know that the wrath of God is coming to this world, but because we've already been forgiven of sin, we are saying there is a wrath that's coming that's not going to affect us. We've been saved. That's what salvation is, is about. Nothing brings security in God like the awareness that he has saved you from his wrath and from sin. This is what makes a person secure. Like, we don't know how the surgery is going to turn out. We don't know how the job is going to turn out. We may not even know how the marriage is going to turn out. But we know what God's intentions are toward us because he saved us. God's intentions towards you are always good because he has saved you. That's what salvation tells you. It doesn't bring God glory for you to doubt his intentions towards you because he's already said through the blood of his son, my intentions towards you are for good. The third thing that David gained from God was strength. He says, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? The phrase stronghold refers to a fortified tower. If you're going against an enemy, you don't have the strength standing there by yourself to face an army. But if you could find a cave, you could find a castle, you could find some type of shelter, you would have a chance. So David said, no, I'm not strong enough on my own to deal with what is going on in my life, but I'm strong enough if I hide in God, he will give me some type of strength that I presently do not have. God is my strength. So you're either going to be trying to fight battles on your own or you're going to fight by running into the shelter of God. All your life you make those decisions. This is, 
great picture of this in New York City. There are two statues very close to each other in, in Manhattan. This statue is Atlas. He's 14 feet tall here, and he's holding up the globe in front of the, um, the GE building right there in the plaza, Rockefeller Square. Greek mythology says this was not a gift. This was a curse that he was assigned to carry the world on his shoulders the rest of his life. Right across from the GE building is St. Patrick's Cathedral. Inside St. Patrick's Cathedral is a little statue of about one or two feet tall of the boy Jesus. And in the hand of Christ is the globe, the whole world. So you have a choice in life, as all people in New York do. All from Manhattan, from Wall Street to, to Main Street, um, to the United Nations. All these people trying to solve the world's problems by bearing it on their shoulders. Or you can give it all to Christ and say, I cannot do what needs to be done here. David knew that God could handle his problems much better than he could. And that's why he said, I only want one thing in life, and that is to get to God. This is how he said it in a very interesting way. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and to gaze upon the beauty of God. I mean, of all the things David could have had, he's a king. Like, hey, bring me some coffee. Uh, I want some popcorn. Of all the things he could have asked for, bring me a new chariot, bring me a palace. Of all the things he asked for, he said, I just want to see the beauty of God in the midst of this battle. That's the only thing that's going to encourage me is to see the beauty of God because one glimpse of God's beauty changes everything. Everything about God is beautiful. His wisdom His love, his justice, everything about God is infinitely beautiful. There's only one problem. He's completely invisible. So you have all of this beauty, yet it's invisible. So what does God do? He decides to show how beautiful he is by making his invisible attributes known through a visible creation. Psalm 19.1 says, heavens, the heavens declare the Glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. This is why God created the world with such a magnificent flair that you might understand he's a God of, he's a beauty loving God of infinite capacity. He loves beauty. He cherishes beauty. He produces beauty. He wants you to see beauty, savor beauty, and find satisfaction by rejoicing in beauty. And that's why David said, I only want to see one thing. And that is to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. If you want to know your purpose in life, you came here today, what's the purpose of life? The purpose of life is to see and savor and celebrate the beauty of God. That's why you're on earth. That's why God created you. To see beauty and be satisfied by it. This is why we drive to the mountains when the leaves change. It's why we love to watch a hawk soar in the sky, a dolphin leap from the water. It's why we love to kayak down rivers and ride motorcycles across the country. It's why we love to snow ski in West Virginia and scuba dive in the Florida Keys. That's why we plant flowers in the spring and put up Christmas trees in December. 
It's why we place aquariums in our den and bird feeders in our yard. It's why we boat on the lake and play golf at the resort. It's why we paint our houses and wax our cars. It's why we buy puppies and go on picnics. It's why we eat at nice restaurants and sleep in nice hotels. It's why we tailgate with friends before the game and visit with family over the holidays. It's why we love movies where justice prevails and sporting events where the underdog wins. It's why we love laughter from a young child or a prayer from an aging saint. It's why we listen to music or learn to play an instrument. That's why we decorate birthday cakes and wrap our gifts in shiny paper. That's why brides wear elegant dresses and school children love glitter and glue. Because we are on a quest for beauty. It drives us. So what you get up in the morning saying, I want to have pleasure in life. Where can it be found? David says it can be found in the beauty of God. Psalm 1611 speaks of this. So God, you make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. That's why we seek beauty. We know that that's where pleasure is at its highest. This is what it, may, it's what it means to be made in the image of God. You were created to enjoy the same beauty that God enjoys and creates pleasure for him and likewise pleasure for you. To be made in the image of God means I am hungry for the pleasure that comes from the beauty of God. Beauty is not something you just know about. It's something you experience, something you feel in every corner of your heart. It's a sensation that comes upon you. It's so satisfying, so refreshing, so renewing, so pleasure-giving. That's how you can face the trials of life, and that's how you can say no to the temptations of life, that the pleasures of God are better. The beauty of God is better. And this craving for beauty is what separates us from the animal world. The Bible says God created man in his own image, and in the image of God he created him. No, no animal, only man has been created in the image of God. You can look from the beginning of time and you go to the caves where men lived and there's artwork on the wall. They don't want just a shelter. They want a pretty shelter. You don't find this in the animal world. Birds build a nest, but mama birds don't put pictures in the nest. When a daddy beaver builds a dam, mama beaver doesn't say, go put flower pots on top of the dam. And never have you seen a lion buying furniture for his den. It is only man that thinks about decorating. It's in him. It's part of being made in the image of God, our craving for pleasure that comes from enjoying God's beauty. You might ask, well, if God is so beautiful, then why is the world so painful, so ugly? Well, the Bible is clear from the beginning. It says that sin has done this. And basically, if you want a definition of sin, it would be this. Sin is trying to find pleasure apart from the beauty of God. That's just a broad definition. Sin is trying to find pleasure apart from the beauty of God. That's why David said, I want to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. He said, when I find beauty, I'm looking for beauty for pleasure that's in God. 
Because if you try to find satisfying pleasure apart from God, you will end up being less satisfied than when you started. You can see that's how this plays out in the book of Romans. Romans 1.20, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, things you can't see, have been seen. How? They're understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. Every person in the world, because they've been made in the image of God, is stamped with this knowledge that God is beautiful. It is impossible to see a picture of the Grand Canyon and to say, that's a big, ugly ditch. It's just wrong every time. You don't say it's beautiful because you should. You say it's beautiful because it is. The image of God says it demands of your conscience, say that's beautiful. If I were to draw a picture of a horse, which I did, and that's a good one. Running across a pasture, you have the right to say, that is ugly. And you'd be right. But if you were to see three horses that God has created running across a pasture, your conscience made in the image of God demands that you say, God is beautiful. Your conscience demands that. The problem is a rebellious heart finds that demand of the conscience to acknowledge the beauty of God to be offensive. Therefore, it doesn't rejoice in declaring that God is beautiful, even though the conscience is saying, you should say that's beautiful. Again, Romans 1, although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. They knew everything that you, they saw the horses. And they refused to say that is the beauty of God to be praised. Most of the people in life enjoy the beauty of God and benefits, common grace. God lets them enjoy his beauty and yet they spend their whole life not acknowledging that he is beautiful. I mean, therefore, they miss from zero to 80 or however long they live. They miss the whole purpose of life by missing the declaring, the declaring, the seeing, and the savoring of the beauty of God. And this refusal to declare that God is beautiful and to, to enjoy his beauty, not only is it infinitely insulting to God, as I said, it separates you from the very satisfaction that you're seeking in life. Again, Romans shows this departure from satisfaction. Therefore, because they would not acknowledge beauty, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God that he is beautiful. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who should be forever praised. The Bible says that we're all sinners. We all know that not hard to talk you into that, but just give you a definition of a sinner. 
It's someone who searches for pleasure but does not believe that that pleasure is found in God. That's what it means to be a sinner. You seek for pleasure, but you do not believe pleasure is found in God. When sin entered the world, something tragic happened to all of us. It, we, our memory, we forgot where beauty is to be found and we resisted going to God in search of beauty. And we begin to settle for anything that would momentarily bring satisfaction to our flesh. And it betrayed us every time. This is why people fill their life with endless possessions. This is why they inject substances into their body. This is why they participate in immoral lifestyles because all of these things provided them with pleasure. Do you know what an addiction is? It's simply a misplaced passion. It started off as a good thing. I want pleasure, but because it's seeking it apart from the beauty of God, it ends in that which is not pleasure. When you seek to find beauty without seeking God, you will become enslaved to things that will eventually lead you away from beauty. You want beauty, you don't seek God, you miss beauty. And where that plays out uh, eventually is uh, this is what eternity will be for those who do not go to God for beauty. Second Thessalonians 1, they will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the beauty, majesty of his power. I respect all the verses in the Bible that say hell is fire. I mean, I think those, that's a... It, it's something that uh, completely uh, produces good, healthy alarm and may be accurate. I mean, it may be exactly that. But to me, what really is hell is this right here of to be in a place where there is no beauty. Because all beauty comes from God. And if you were eternally separated from God, you were eternally separated from beauty. And you have this eternal longing for beauty. And yet you will never see one aspect of beauty again. That, that would be hell to me. To never see beauty. And that would have been the outcome for everybody in this room had it not been for the most beautiful expression of God's beauty in the history of the world, and that is the giving of his son. Remember how David began his prayer, the Lord is my light. The greatest expression of God's beauty is when he sent his son as the light of the world into our darkness that we might enter into his light. This is how Paul says it in Colossians. For Jesus has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. For God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the, into the kingdom of the Son that he loves. Let me read that again. For he has rescued us, saved us, from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son that he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Oh, that's a sweet word. The forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God. Once again. You can't see God, and you say, well, what does he look like? Look at Jesus. The, you've seen one, you've seen the other. Jesus is the most beautiful man who's ever lived, the, the God-man. Look at everything about his life, the beauty of his words, the beauty of his teaching, the beauty 
of his touch, the beauty of his miracles, the beauty of his mercy, the beauty of his agony, and the beauty of his resurrection. If you want to know what the invisible God looks like, then look at the visible Jesus. Because when you look at Christ, you'll see the extent to which God would go that you might forever be able to enjoy his beauty. We're going to sing this in just a few minutes. These are the lines that are in that song. I see you there hanging on a tree. You bled and then you died and you rose again for me. Now you're sitting on your heavenly throne. Soon we'll be coming home. You're beautiful. You're beautiful. But some people say that because the world is so not beautiful, so ugly, I can't believe in a beautiful God. And I agree. Let me say unequivocally, the world is ugly. And we grieve over that. We grieve over crime. We grieve over disease. We grieve over disaster and we grieve over death. We grieve over immoral lifestyles. We grieve over perverse values. The world is ugly. But all of the world's ugliness is the fuel in our heart to hunger for the world to come. And this is what God is doing. This is how he uses the darkness of this world that we might hunger for the beauty of light. In fact, let me say this. Some of our greatest pain in life occurs because of our disappointment with a God who is beautiful. Because we know him to be infinitely beautiful, we are disappointed that he would allow something that's not beautiful. That does not invalidate the beauty of God. It only validates it. We know him to be beautiful, and that's why we're disappointed that something was before us not beautiful. In regard to pain and suffering, there are only two approaches. You can spend the rest of your life looking at your pain, talking about your pain, and gathering the people in the world to talk about how ugly and painful the world is. That's one approach. Many take it. Or you can look at the darkness of the world and you can be in the same world that everybody else is, but you can choose to be a light bearer and light a candle in the darkness of that world talking about the beauty of God to come and the beauty of God that is in Christ. Lisa and I were so encouraged night before last. I, I, again, we, I took her to, again, one of our, our favorite health food restaurants, Chick-fil-A, and we ordered... We ordered two sandwiches uh, and, and some drinks, and we went down to Cleveland Park just uh, Friday night. We parked by the pond, and uh, we enjoyed the beauty of taste, uh, and we enjoyed the beauty of watching families and individuals walk around the pond, and we enjoyed watching geese slowly wobble across the road when you wanted to move your car. We enjoyed ducks practicing their water landings in the pond. Our best sight was a family, husband and wife and a little boy, holding hands 
And then the, the wife was about to give that little boy a brother or a sister because she was so very pregnant. And she was radiant with the beauty of life to come. They were radiant with joy. And so we just marveled there because it was just last week on the stage that I used Cleveland Park as an example of that which is not beautiful in our world in the shootings and the injuries and the, and the death that occurred there a week ago. And here they are, the, the, the neighbors of Cleveland Park. You can spend the rest of your life fixated upon that darkness that happened a week ago. Or you say, no, we're going to fight. We're going to fight and we're going to light candles in our world and light up the darkness instead of fixating on pain. Because this world is filled with so much pain, our, our hearts are so incredibly hungry. Because this world is so painful, our hearts are so hungry to live in a world where they'll be satisfied by eternal pleasure. And you need to know that God has every intention of satisfying that hunger. He put that hunger in your heart. And he will satisfy that hunger. Romans 8, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So we know it's coming. You're hungry for it. We know that the whole creation has been groaning. Even earth is hungry for it. Has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves groan. We're hungering. Groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoptions as sons the redemption of our bodies. I told you at the beginning of the message that these two Hook Point families that did not know each other and did not know that both were at Edisto, they sent me the pictures of the beauty of God they were enjoying that morning. The story gets even better. Last night at 8.35, that's a very important time for this story. At 8.35, they both not only sent me how their morning began, they both decided Though I had talked to none, neither one of them about the other. They both decided at 8.35 to show me how their day ended. They both sent me the sunsets down at Edisto that they were um, enjoying. And I did text them this after I got both their pictures. These pictures came within three seconds of each other. This was the first one, enjoying the beauty of God. And this was the second do you know why we love sunsets as we do? Because in our minds we say, if this is just one color on the artist's brush, what does the whole canvas look like in heaven? If this is just the movie trailer that we're doing right now, what's the movie like? If that is just the outside of the walls of heaven... What does the inside look like? If this is just the hem of God's garment, what does his face look like? And sure enough, we will know what his face looks like. First John 3, 2, we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. The invisible will become visible on that day. You think heaven's going to be boring? You just think about yesterday's sunrise, today's sunrise. 
you're going to be seated on the throne next to the one who makes all those decisions. And you're going to be like him. Never again will you desire sin. Never again will you know any sadness. Eternal, infinite, pure joy. For you will be like him because you will see him. Whatever joy you experienced in heaven yesterday, it will be doubled tomorrow. And it will be doubled the next day. And do you know when it will end? When eternity is over. Let's pray. Father, we've already tasted of your beauty this morning. The beauty of hugs, hellos. Uh, the beauty of coffee and its taste, um, especially the beauty of music, the beauty of lyrics, the beauty of Scripture. Uh, Father, we saw with our eyes the beauty of creation on the screen and obviously in our cars. This week, Lord, we experienced the beauty of your provision our minds were able to think clearly enough to produce at work. That produced the beauty of a paycheck, which allowed us to buy food, sit around a table, to experience the beauty of fellowshipping and filling up. Lord, you allowed us to experience the beauty of lighting a candle being a part of the answer rather than exalting the problem. You gave us the name of Jesus to speak from our lips, to share from our hands. And how beautiful is that message. You, Jesus, creator of the stars, maker of the oceans, Wayer of the mountains. You who raise up and put down kings. You who tell the ocean's waves where to stop. You who decide that the colors of green and orange and red and would blanket the earth. Snow would fall and springtime would come. And Lord, for all the things that we did against you and against your world, all the pain that we brought into our lives, all the people we hurt, all the insults we made against God, you, Jesus, you forgave every one of them by shedding blood on the cross, by living a beautiful life, by enduring a horrendous death, and by so beautifully walking out of an empty grave. You were beautiful. Today, God, would you please let this crowd know and each individual, you can make their life beautiful by you just filling it up, by you, Jesus, just coming in. So would you give somebody the courage to say, Jesus, come in my heart. Take away my sin. Fill me with your beauty. Fill me with your kindness, your love, your purity. Fill me with your beauty. 
And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.